Welcome again. My name is Elliot Cherry. I'm the pastor here. And um, just a few things before we enter our time of worship, our time of sermon. Um, one is, is that uh, if you are someone in the room that, um, that needs a minute, that can't really be in this room right now, that needs to talk to somebody, weep with somebody, pray with somebody, uh, yell with somebody, um, we have uh, a prayer team that meets every communion Sunday and every Sunday during the nine o'clock, but they are up these stairs down the hall to the left and they would love to be with you, love to pray with you. Uh, they, they would love to listen to you. They would love to dwell with you. We also have elders, uh, really, really precious, gentle men and, uh, and uh, shepherds who are all around. Uh, and so just find someone that looks like they're gentle and precious and uh, they will weep with you. Now there's Scott Smith in the back and John Thompson uh, in the back and uh, they're, they're around, but they are kind of waiting and here if you need that. Um, the other thing is this, is that I know that the tragedy of the week, uh, even just looking at the crowd, I'm like, yes, I, I know that, I know that y'all, there are several of you who, um, we're, we're there, that the, the, the epicenter of this uh, includes you. Um, we've got about six or seven families uh, with children at Covenant and about three or four faculty um, that work there. And so, and those people are all known and loved here. And so uh, everyone's kind of feeling it here. Um, but if you're, if you're kind of outside of those circles and, 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 the, and doesn't seem to have affected you this week like it did our, some of our people here and those close to them, uh, I, I would say you don't, you don't necessarily need to feel shame about that, that your world wasn't uh, as impacted. But here's what I would say. If you've got strength this morning, if you've got um, a voice this morning, uh, as we close in worship uh, after the sermon and communion, you need to sing because <laughs> uh, we need to hear your voice. Um, there are many in this room who don't have a voice this morning. And so uh, this is part of what community does is... Um, we weep with those who weep, and we rejoice with those who rejoice, but we, we, we need to get real close right now um, because there, is a, there, there was a tearing um, this week that sin and death is trying to rip the world apart, and it tried to on Monday. And this community, y'all would be so proud of the staff and the elders here. Um, we, we are trying desperately to care for those among us who have been weeping nonstop since Monday. Um, so uh, if you're here, we're glad you're here and you may not feel as affected by it, but uh, you're part of this room right now. We need you um, to be here to sing out. So um, we're gonna enter our, our sermon portion of the morning. Uh, it's very fitting. We're gonna study a passage uh, where Jesus goes to a funeral, see what Jesus does in the face of a lost loved one. Uh, and we, we're hoping to get a, a child to read our passage this morning, but... Um, they were disobedient and did not do that. So Sarah, our wonderful children's director, who's led us with her children and her flock, is going to come read for us John chapter 11, starting in verse 17. You can come. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Mary said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, 
I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Um, I went to two of the victims' funerals yesterday and um, full of hope and full of grief uh, and all of that, but it's just not supposed to ever go to two funerals on the same day. Um, and so as we kind of face this thing called death um, as a city and as a community, um, one of the things that I have felt this week is the enormity of death, just like the incalculable weight of it as it kind of just lays on a people and the grieving um, and the sad and the sorrowful. And here's what we're going to look at today as we walk through this passage, um, Jesus at this funeral, is that here's the, here's the um, otherworldly, but I believe um, very true claim of Jesus in the enormity of death, Jesus is saying, I am bigger than death. Um, and, and there is much to grieve and there is much to be sorrowful about, um, but I'm making all things new. And so let's look and see this Jesus at a funeral. Jesus is at the funeral of his dear friend Lazarus. And we're gonna focus on something pretty simple here as we walk through it, is that um, both of Lazarus's sisters come to Jesus and they literally, like word for word, uh, say the exact same sentence to Jesus. And they come to Jesus and they're angry with him and they say to him, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus, where were you? And I can tell you, because I've been with all of our covenant people this week, they're all asking the same thing. Um, If you had been here, 
where were you? If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Um, and so I just, uh, part of what scripture does for us as we read real life, real historical things that Jesus actually did and experienced and who he encountered, this idea of the, where, where grief creates in us the whole range of emotions of sadness and sorrow and anger and confusion and questions. I want you to know that response to tragedy, that response to sorrow is normal. That all of the questions and all of the rage and all of the sadness and all of the what ifs and all, all of it, that's what the sisters are doing. And so here's, here's just what I want you to see as we walk through this. The range of emotions, the spectrum of emotions and all of it is to be expected because we're human. And that's partially what Martha and Mary do for us, these sisters of Lazarus, is that their range of emotions, and the crowd even asks a question in here, like the whole, all the people sitting around, they've got questions about Jesus and wh- why and where and how come, and that is normal, it's welcomed, and it's expected. And in response to that, in response to the emotions and the questions and the confusion, here's what we're gonna see from Jesus. Jesus doesn't always give us answers, but he always gives us himself. And he's gonna encounter these two sisters a little bit differently, but in, in reality, it's actually him doing two versions of the same thing. So that's what we're gonna see. So first we see Martha and Jesus. This is verse uh, 20 through 26. You can throw this back up there. It says this. So when Martha, as the first sister, heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this. So here's the first encounter. Martha comes to Jesus and, and ac- accuses him and declares to him in her anger and her rage and her confusion, where were you? If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. And then Jesus says, your brother's going to rise again. And she, she goes, I know Jesus. I know one day, I know one day on the last day, I will see him again. I'm not talking about what's going to happen in the future. I'm talking about what's happening now. And where were you now? Where are you now? And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Here's what just happened. Martha was speaking a piece of Jewish theology. Most Jews believed and still believe that at the last day, the end of human history, there will be a bodily resurrection from the dead for all who belong to Yahweh. There will be a resurrection of the dead. Jews believe that. Christians believe that. Christians believe that, that because of the resurrection of Jesus, because of the coming of Jesus, not only in the great resurrection of the dead one day, we used to believe that the whole world and the whole cosmos will be remade one day. The new heavens and the new earth, the full consummation of the coming of the kingdom of God into the world where all things are made right, where all things are made new. We believe this. Martha's talking about that piece of Jewish and more extrapolated Christian theology. Because Jesus... I know I'm gonna see Lazarus when he rises from the dead in the future. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, hey, Martha, hey, Christian, your hope of a great day to come is true and it's a good hope. But your hope isn't only in the future. 
Resurrection actually begins now because I am here now. I have brought your future hope into the present. Martha, your future hope is real. Martha, your future hope is good. But your future hope doesn't only belong in the future. Hope begins now because I am here now. I came to reverse the curse of sin. I came to bring light to the darkness. I came to eradicate sorrow. I came to eradicate death. I came to eradicate everything that's been broken in the world. I came to bring death to life and that day has started right now. Your guarantee of your future hope, Martha, is staring you in the face. Your hope is not abstract in a faint way in the future. Your hope right now, Martha, begins now because I'm here. And here's what that does for us in the face of tragedy. Here's what that does for us in the face of sorrow. Because Jesus has brought the kingdom now and it is beginning to come now, when you look at the world, when you look at this week, when you look at our city, when you look at the darkness and the destruction that took place, just down the street and you think to yourself, death and darkness has won. Here's what a living Jesus says to you, you're wrong. Because I am the resurrection and the life, he says, and so the new day has already begun to dawn now. When you look at the world and you think everything has gone to hell in a handbasket, when you face depression and despair in light of the tragedy and you think that death will win, death always wins, death will have the final word, the resurrection and the life, Jesus looks at you and says, you're wrong. I need to speak some truth to you in your sorrow, Jesus says. Your hope is not only in the future. Your hope has come to earth. And because I am here, Martha, your future hope is now guaranteed. The hope of a new day has dawned. New life begins now and hope will win out. So that's the first thing we see Jesus doing. He gives Martha in her fear and in her sadness and in her anger, he gives her hope by telling her what's true. He gives her truth. But now let's look at Mary. Because he doesn't say a word to Mary. Knowing all this of what he just said to Martha, then Mary comes up, verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Okay, so Jesus is outside with Martha, telling her what's true. I am the resurrection and the life. Hope begins now. And then Mary comes out to them, and on her way out, she is weeping. Jesus sees her weeping, we're told, sees her friends weeping, and gets to Jesus and says the same thing to Jesus. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And what does Jesus do in response to Mary? He weeps with her. Jesus, the king of the universe, Jesus, the resurrection and the life, the one who has brought the future into the present, is weeping. 
He's weeping at the side of his friends, weeping. He's weeping over the pain of life that his friends are going through. He's weeping over what sin and death have done to the world. He's weeping with his friends and he's weeping for his friends. This, this is really important because what I just said about Jesus' encounter with Martha is how a lot of us have grown up, if you grew up in the church, thinking about how the Christian is supposed to deal with sorrow and tragedy and loss is, well, I'm supposed to know true things, Resurrection life, hope begins now, one day everything will be okay. That's true, but that doesn't make Jesus stoic. Jesus isn't cold-hearted. Jesus isn't numb. Here's what the resurrection and the life looks like when it is in real life. Looks like a weeping savior. An incarnate Jesus who has cried real tears, who knows what tears taste like because they've fallen into his mouth because he's wept them. That's what Jesus is like. And so all this theology and all this truth, which is so true and we need it, all of this truth about Jesus being the king who's bringing heaven to earth and that day has dawned and hope begins now, all of that does not make him cold. In fact, it's the complete opposite. Did you see? It's like you have to read this and, and believe that Jesus is a real human being when he's there at the funeral. And there, I, there were families that asked the same question this week at Vanderbilt Hospital that Jesus asked because he's that in it. When they come to him and, he, and that Mary and the friends are weeping, and do you hear what Jesus said? Where have they laid him? I, I need to see the body. I want to see it. I, want, I, I need to look at him. I want, I want to know. I need to go weep for the one that I've lost. I want to be with my friend. In fact, the passage actually goes a little bit farther into ex explaining and showing us the deep emotion of Jesus. It says in here three times he was deeply moved. And then it tells us in this passage that there are three parties weeping. Mary's weeping, their friends are weeping, and Jesus wept. Which in English, as that reads through, you think, well, everybody's crying, and that's true. But John, who wrote this book for us, who wrote this account down, eyewitness, he was there. He's watching all this happen. Jesus is with all his disciples. He sees Mary weeping, he sees all the friends weeping, and he sees Jesus weeping. It would have been very easy for him in Greek, the original language of the New Testament, to tell us and use the word for weeping the same kind of weeping for all three parties that were weeping, Mary, friends, and Jesus. But John uses a word for weeping to describe Mary and the friends weeping, same word, and then he uses a different word for the weeping of Jesus. It's the only time this word is used in the entire New Testament. It's a word that communicates an overwhelming amount of grief. It's a word that communicates a literal pouring out. It's a word that communicates when one who is weeping, and I watch this all week, people who are so uncontrollably weeping that it affects their body, they cannot stand while they weep. One whose entire complexion has changed because of the state of their emotional and relational loss. It is the most intense Greek word for weeping. It's like a waterfall of grief. And it's used of Jesus when he sees the ones he loves weeping. And it's used of Jesus at his friend's funeral. 
Have you been in any pain this week? Have you seen any in pain this week? I'm looking out in the crowd and I've been with some of you this week. I know the pain. I know what you have been holding. And here's what this passage is saying to you. If you have wept at all this week, Jesus has wept this week too. His knowledge of all things to come doesn't make him stoic. It doesn't take away his emotions. It actually heightens them. We have a comforting Jesus, a compassionate Jesus, an empathetic Jesus, and a tender Jesus who doesn't tell us that if we just knew what was true, we wouldn't be so sad. We have a Jesus who calls us to himself and tells us, come look at my tears. Yes, one day I will wipe every tear from your eyes, but right now I am weeping tears with you. We have a tear wiping and a tear weeping Jesus. And here, here's what the passage would dare to say to you, especially for my friends in the room who have wept this week. It's not a competition, but Jesus has cried harder than you this week. Jesus has wept harder than you this week. He's crying harder than you because of what sin and death has done to his world again. And he's crying because the day that he knows when sin and death will be gone, the day of the resurrection and the life, the day when he will wipe every tear, that day isn't here yet. And so every day, every day, you have a Jesus that the Old Testament says is well acquainted with grief. Jesus is waiting for that day too. And while he waits for that day, while he waits for the day of sin and death to be no more, guess what he does with his people? He weeps with them because sin and death are still tearing apart the world and the people that he loves. My daughter just read um, The Magician's Nephew, the, f- the first in the Chronicles of Narnia series, because she's a Christian. Uh, but uh, I actually haven't read it. She's more Christian than I am. Uh, but this is a scene, I know the storyline, this is a scene from that book the main character is uh, Diggory, and he is the magician's nephew, and Diggory's mother is sick, and she's dying. And Diggory finds Aslan the lion, and Aslan the lion is the only one who has the power to heal his mother. And he's begging Aslan to do something, and he says this, but please, please, won't you, can't you give me something that will cure my mother? It says, up till then, Diggory had been looking at the lion's great feet and at the huge claws on them. Now, in Diggory's despair, he looked up at the lion's face. What he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the face of the lion was bent down near his own, and wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared with Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother's death than he was himself. My son, my son, said Aslan, I know grief is great. He knows. You may know that the God of the Bible is a God of future hope. Do you know that the God of the Bible is full of sorrowful empathy too? 
Do you know that the God of the Bible is the only God in the universe who knows what it's like to lose a child to a violent death? He knows, he knows, he knows, and because he knows, he is weeping with his people. He is well acquainted with grief. This, this is what makes Jesus so much better and so much bigger than any other option you could ever try to use to deal with your grief. Martha and Mary come to Jesus and say the same thing to him. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus gives one of the women his truth and one of the women his tears, and we need both of them. The hope of the kingdom to come, the hope of a future reality that has begun now is truth for our heads and we need it. But the tears of a weeping Jesus is the compassion of a king that my heart is so desperate for. To Martha, he gives truth and hope. To Mary, he gives his tears and we need both of them from Jesus if we are gonna make it through this. And so I would say to you that if all you're doing is weeping, Maybe you need to hear the truth of the hope of Jesus. But if you haven't wept, maybe you need to get real close to Jesus to see his tears for this. And so in just a few minutes, we're gonna come to the communion table and I would beg of you to ask Jesus to show you what your heart needs to see from him. What do you think you need to see from Jesus? Do you need his truth or do you need his tears or do you need a whole truckload of both of them? See, the Christian is the only one who can enter into something like this tragedy with both things, grief and hope. And if the Christian comes into tragedy and loses either one of those, then you have lost what Christianity brings to tragedy and sorrow. Jesus here brings both things in their fullest sense, grief and hope, truth and tears. And I would just tell you, your elders and your staff this week and the community, the small groups, have brought a whole bunch of both of those things. It has been unbelievable to watch Midtown. And honestly, so many churches in this city bring truth and tears to this heartache. But the funeral scene isn't over. It almost was when Sarah left before the passage was done. Jesus gives Martha his truth, he gives Mary his tears, and then he gives this story his triumph. See, at the end of the story, these sisters are at a funeral, and here's what they see. They were told, your brother will be raised to life again. And then we read this, verse 43. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This little story ends with Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and this little story is a microcosm for the story of the world. The story ends with Lazarus experiencing resurrection and here's what is true about the story of the world one day the world will experience resurrection too. There will be a day when death won't win anymore. There will be a day 
where Jesus looks at all who belong to him and says to them what he says to Lazarus. He will be talking directly to death himself and he will say, unbind them and let them go. 1 Corinthians 15 is kind of Paul's touchdown dance of what Jesus will do, has begun to do, and will do to death one day. He says in 1 Corinthians 15 that when Jesus returns in victory, he will put all of his enemies under his feet. And ultimately, the ultimate enemy of Jesus since the garden that we studied last week in here. Since the garden, the ultimate enemy of Jesus has been sin and death. And one day, he has already delivered death its death blow. But that final day where death will finally be put to death itself hasn't fully come yet. And so 1 Corinthians says, when Jesus returns in victory, the victorious king, the resurrected king, the last enemy to be defeated will be death itself. You thought that Harry Potter's parents came up with that on their gravestone, and they didn't. Paul did in 1 Corinthians 15. The last enemy to be defeated will be death itself. Meaning this, a victorious Jesus gets the final say on how this story ends, not death. Death and all of his friends will be finally put to death. And a victorious Jesus holding his scepter will rule the world and his ultimate victory means that there will be no more threat of death ever again. There will be a day with no more school shootings and there will be a day when every assault rifle is burned and turned into a plowshare to plant a garden in the new heaven and new earth. There will be a day with no more tears. Which means, which means that the threat of death now, which is real, the pain of death, the sorrow of death, the anguish of death, the grief of death now, which is all so real. I have cried so many tears this week and I don't even know when it's gonna come. I just, when it, when it hits, I can't stop it. And I was at two funerals, like I said, I cried so much and it's so real because the pain and the sorrow is so real. And here's what this means for us. All of that real sorrow has an expiration day. Because what grief is telling us all right now, what sorrow is telling us all right now, is that it will always be like this. Grief and sorrow and tragedy are telling us that we will suffocate under the weight of this tragedy and that death has won and death will always win. But the story of the Bible says that no, Jesus will have the final word on how this story ends, not death. There will be a day when the last tear falls. This world will not end in death because the story of the world ends like the story of Lazarus ends in this little microcosm. The story of the world ends in resurrection, which means if there's still death, which there is, the story isn't over yet because the story of this world that is ruled by King Jesus will not end in death. It will end in resurrection. The pain of the horror that we've experienced, the pain of the loss that we've experienced, here's what the New Testament says to you, it's only temporary. It is so temporary and so finite, it is so not final 
that Jesus and Paul in the New Testament use a word to talk about death in the New Testament, and they use it multiple times, and they throw so much shade at death when they use it. Multiple times in the New Testament, Paul and Jesus are so certain that death will not have the final say, that the pain of death now will be so temporary that they have the audacity to call death sleep. It it may be the most powerful word in the entire New Testament for Jesus and Paul multiple times to look death in the face and call it sleep. Do you know what they're saying when they say that? Death is not death for the Christian. Death is merely a nap for Jesus. Death is like sleep. Guess what happens to people who you love who fall asleep and they're not dead? Guess what that means? They're gonna wake up and you will will see them again because they haven't died. That's what he says to Martha here. He says, no, 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 you will see your brother again. They wake up and we get to see them again because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. They can look at this thing called death, this final, ultimate, permanent ender of all enders and say to us, it's not the end of the story. It's been famously said before that death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him just a gardener. Because Jesus will deliver death, his final death blow, and death will turn into resurrection one day. And so because of that, we bring both things to the tragedy. Truth and tears, grief and hope. Joseph Patton, our worship leader, and I were talking this week, um, planning the service that we did here on Tuesday and planning the service and, and talking every day. And he kept saying this line over and over again. He just kept saying, if it's not true today, then I don't care if it's true any day. If the promise of a resurrected Jesus doesn't matter in the face of the horror that we've lived through, then who cares? But if it is true... We need it today. With our tears and our truth this week and this month and in the months to come, we need to be held by the truth and the Jesus that has held Christians for millennia through tragedy and through sorrow in the face of the vilest and most horrific evil. That your tear-weeping Jesus will have the final word on how this world ends, not death. I have cried so often this week. And I keep hearing Jesus whisper, don't stop. Because I haven't stopped. And so I would beg of you in these moments, if you need some tears, to try to get really, really quiet. In fact, I'm going to pray and then the band's going to come sing for us one kind of preparation, meditative song for us to be really still because trauma loves to speed us all up. And, and the tear-weeping Jesus would say, would you slow down? Would you slow down with me in this grief and in this quiet while we prepare to come to the communion table? So I'll pray, and then the band will come sing one preparation song for us. Jesus, our, uh, 
our hearts are, my heart is exhausted. And um, we need your truth and we need your tears and we need your triumph. And so as we get quiet, as we come to your table, would you meet with us, Jesus? Would you be the God of all comfort? Where we would weep because we know you're weeping too. And for those that uh, have more strength than others, would you let them bear up and bind up the brokenhearted among us? Meet with us now as we come to your table, Jesus. In your name, amen.